you know, the last couple of weeks have been, been, been rough. You know, um, I sent out a video this week. I hope that most of you guys have watched it. Um, and if you haven't, uh, that's okay. But I hope that you maybe get some time to watch it. But, um, uh, but I want to kind of, we're going to take a break from John today just to, um, just to, as a family, kind of collect ourselves under the gospel, under just sort of a, a, a unity uh, with each other. Because uh, in the last 18 years of being a, a pastor, um, I've, never, I've never honestly seen an issue that we've been seeing uh, that has brought so much controversy and uh, division, um, opinion, uh, mockery, um, gossip, slander, uh, just condes- you know, condes- condes- condensation. It's not condensation, right? Condescension. Condescension towards each other. Um, as I have seen with this, this coronavirus, with, uh, with uh, the stay-at-home orders, the, all the stuff, masks, everything, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, all these different opinions on uh, the level of threat that it really is, or on the government response, or on the church's response, or on whether we should wear masks or not, and all those things. And, and it's, it's been crazy for me to see how much it's even affected the church, uh, the way that it has infiltrated even the church. And uh, bef- so before we jump into the actual sermon, I just want to share a few things with you guys, uh, just for me personally. Um, I don't often share too much, um, like super personally on Sundays. I just don't want this to be like Joby's story time or um, let, you know, kind of know what Joby's going through. Um, this is the time uh, for us to get together as a church and hear the word of God be preached. Um, and so I don't, I don't share too deeply personally, especially publicly. Um, when I'm having a hard time, when I'm having a difficult time uh, in life or in ministry or whatever, uh, I don't ever, uh, I, I know what the Lord called me into uh, 18 years ago when he, I, I probably didn't actually know 18 years ago what he's called me into, <laughs> but I had an idea. And even when we planted the church seven and a half years ago, I knew what the call of shepherding and pastoring meant. So, um, so I don't ever want, you know, sympathy or the pat on the back because uh, I, I, I know God's word. I know what he calls his people into. And I know, I, I knew what it meant to be called to be a pastor. So, uh, so I don't share too much about that, but, um, but we are a family. Um, and you know, I am one of your pastors and I'm also not just one of the, your pastors or one of the shepherds, but uh, I'm also one of the sheep. And, um, you know, my soul needs cared for as well. Uh, and I'm not invincible. I'm not impervious uh, to, to weariness. Uh, and the last couple months in particular, um, I've never been more just uh, beleaguered and uh, discouraged and perplexed and exhausted. And um, just seeing um, the way that even Christians uh, treat each other um, carelessly, thoughtlessly, um, even, if, even if totally unintentionally, um, even sometimes with good motive, uh, but um, just having a, a lack of, of, of graciousness, um, a lack of understanding, a lack of, of empathy. Um, there's just a, a lot of arrogance and division. Um, and I'm not just talking, I'm not talking about life mission. I'm just talking about in general, just in Christianity uh, across our country. Um, it's just been, it's been wearing me out. I don't see much of being slow to speak and quick to listen. I'm seeing the opposite, being quick to speak and slow to listen. Um, and it's personally, it's, it's been wearing me out. Um, I shared that just with uh, Casey and Tyler the other night as we, uh, we get together on Wednesdays and, 
Um, they thanked me for sharing that with them because uh, they'd been feeling that too and they thought it was just kind of like new guy syndrome. Uh, syndrome. I was like, no, <laughs> it actually gets worse. Um, but uh, it was helpful for them to know that they're not alone in feeling this way and, uh, and the three of us were not alone in feeling this way. Um, you know, the pain, the anguish in the, the voices or the text messages, the emails that I get from other pastors, it's just, uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, one of the hardest things for us as pastors uh, is knowing that we're going to alienate someone. We're going to frustrate someone. No matter what decision we make with this situation, we're going to frustrate someone. Um, we're going to make someone angry. We're going to disappoint someone. We're going to let them down. And so I want you to know that if you are not offended by our decisions that we've been making the last four months, someone in your church is. Okay, so you might be like, oh, this is great. And, I, and I'm grateful that you're like that. <laughs> but just know that behind the scenes, if you're okay with what we've been doing and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here no matter what, um, there's someone in the church who does not like what we've been deciding to do. Uh, on, on big issues or even on small issues. Um, and they've probably, you know, let us know somehow. And most times I don't think people mean too much. I don't think they mean to, uh, you know, be offensive or whatever it is or wear us down. I don't think that's what they mean. Um, sometimes it might be just be like a little joke or a little comment. Uh, it might seem even benign, but for me it's, it's felt like death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, paper cuts, you don't, you don't see them. There's no blood drawn. It doesn't seem like a big deal. They're so small. And, but after a thousand of them, uh, it just it, it wears you out. Uh, it becomes debilitating. And, and as we know, paper cuts, they, they do sting. Um, and the worst part, I think, is that those that suffer the most from the, that kind of division or whatever, uh, it's not actually the pastors. They're not the ones who suffer the most. It's it's the people. It's the church. Um, we see in Hebrews 13, I've, I've brought this one up, I think, early on in this uh, kind of the early days of the stay-at-home orders. Uh, Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, the church. Pray for us because we're sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And the grumbling and complaining that I see uh, in the capital C church across our country, uh, whether it's hearing it from my pastor friends or, or, or congregation members in their own churches uh, or seeing it in social media, um, subtle and maybe not so subtle comments, uh, it's no advantage to you, the church, because then your pastors wear down and we end up running on fumes and sermon prep then is, uh, I mean, during my sermon prep the last few months, uh, it has not been near as focused as before all this because my mind is on something else half the time. I'm trying to refocus myself. Uh, joy is robbed, but we hang on by a thread. And the thing about pastoring is that pastoring isn't just preaching. Um, I remember being told that um, before planting, uh, you know, because a lot of times it's the guys who like to preach, they're the ones who want to start their own churches because they like to preach. And I was, and, I, and before I planted, I like to preach. And uh, so I was warned by so many different pastors, just so you know, preaching is one of the, it's the most, one of the more important things you do, 
but it's the thing that you give your time even less to because pastoring is shepherding people. It's not just preaching. But a lot of guys get into this because they just want to preach. They just love getting in front of people and just preaching the word of God. And, and a lot of times, that's where a lot of churches, they, they go uh, sideways or they go down because the people don't get cared for. Uh, the, the pastor who started it just wanted to preach. He didn't really want to shepherd. And I'm telling you, the thing that keeps me up at night isn't my sermon prep. I, I, don't, I don't stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning not being able to sleep because I'm worried about uh, how to properly word a certain phrase or a certain thing. That's not what keeps me up at night. What keeps me up at night is you guys thinking about you. It's thinking about your souls and what's going on in your life and how I know that different pains come in your life. And, um, you know, that, I mean, you can ask my wife whenever she's asked me, like, she can tell what's something's going on and I can't focus. I'm, I'm somewhere else in my mind. Um, you know, I might say something like, uh, well, here, here's how the conversation usually go. It's, I'm thinking about this person, this person, this person. And by the way, it's Friday and I haven't even thought about my sermon yet. Uh, so my sermon does sometimes keep me up at night, but only because I haven't gotten to it. What I usually like to start on Mondays. Sometimes in the last four months, I haven't started until Thursdays or Fridays. Um, and so the author of Hebrews says, pray for us. Pray for us. Because we're sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. And I can assure you, church, that myself and Casey and Tyler, we have a clear conscience in how we're leading through this. It doesn't mean we don't have questions or we like have this, you know, clarity of doing everything exactly perfectly. But our consciences, at least, even if the, the method and the, the, uh, the direction might not be totally clear to us all the time, but our consciences are clear. Because we know that we are sitting before the Lord and his word, even though it's going to mean we're going to alienate and frustrate some. And that keeps us up at night, but as Hebrews says, that keeps us up at night because we have to give an account. We have to watch over souls. And when there's strife, like Hebrews speaks of, uh, the leaders are worn thin and joy is robbed and the people suffer. And when the people suffer, the church suffers, then God is robbed of the joy that, or the, the, the glory that he deserves. And God and, and his church doesn't seem so radiant and then people on the outside look at the church and just say, why would I want to be a part of that? They look just like us. And so it just kind of goes from there. Uh, the world isn't quite as uh, attracted to God or his people because uh, we're just as divisive. We're just as mean-spirited. We're just as loudly opinionated. We look just like the politicians. And so it's with that that I want to open up to James chapter 4 today. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open up to uh, James 4 uh, verse 6. And uh, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord just to lead us, guide us today in his word and, and just to help us uh, as a church family uh, to be more mindful, to be more thoughtful, uh, to be more caring, more empathetic, uh, to be more meek and more humble. Father in heaven, we uh, come to you admittedly as broken sinners, people who um, sometimes we, we think we know what we're doing. We kind of act like we know what we're doing. Uh, but really, um, we, need, we need so much help. 
We need guidance. We need strength. We need wisdom. We need clarity. We need your grace to help us to take one step at a time in the right direction towards the cross, towards your face, with your word ever before us, in our hearts, in our minds, your word being the lamp to our feet, not our thoughts or opinions, but your word being the lamp to our feet, that it would shape us and conform us into the image of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we ask for your help, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us into your truth today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So James chapter four, verse six. I'm going to start in the second half of uh, verse 6 there. Uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and he who, it's he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? As I read um, articles online, hear stories, as I said from other pastors, or scroll on social media, scan the news feed, you know what's nice about hearing all the traffic and everything? Because we can hear them, that means they can hear us too. So that's actually good. So, <laughs> But as I scroll through uh, social media and all the news and everything, we have an overabundance of opinions and criticism and slander and gossip and vitriol and shaming and mocking. And I see almost zero amount of humility. I mean, I don't think that word humility marks what we see in the news or on social media even among the church, among Christians, even in private conversations probably. Uh, everyone has become an expert. Everyone posts articles that, uh, and stats from their side and that prove their point. Everyone clearly sees the reality. And the other side, of course, are fools. Uh, all sides are, are passionate. They're all convinced and speak even judgmentally and mockingly of others who just don't hold their views because obviously they don't see as clear as, as we do. Uh, there's a lack of respect shown to someone who, who differs with you or who differs maybe with your strong opinion. But as James says, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not now a doer of the law. You're not just trying to, uh, to follow after Jesus, but now you're becoming a judge. Rather than just being someone who's trying to be obedient, who's trying to honor the Lord with your decision-making and how you share your opinions, now you're actually becoming a judge. But there's only one lawgiver and only one judge, he who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When we speak with our, our kind of know-it-all, smug, condescending tone and words, and we cease being one who's aiming to be that doer of the law, and trying to just shepherd our own hearts and live properly, but now we actually are 
starting to police everyone and become the judge. Trying to police them towards our opinion. And there's a severe arrogance that's the, the mark of so many conversations that are going on today. We become very presumptuous. You know, if we look back in the last four, five, six months, uh, the very beginning, um, our government first around January, February acted like this isn't be a big deal. Uh, then it became a very big deal. Now maybe they've gone too far or maybe they haven't gone far enough or maybe we should have gone further earlier. Uh, when we look back in the future as a government, as a country, as families, as individuals, we're going to look back and we're all going to see mistakes that we've made. I think every single one of us is going to see some mistakes that we made. We didn't take it too serious. We took it too serious. Uh, we didn't speak graciously to this person. We were judgmental towards that person. I didn't speak up enough at this or too much at that. Maybe too much, too little. Maybe too much, too late. Or not enough, soon enough. Did any of that make sense? <laughs> but instead of having a cautious humility and meekness amongst each other, many Christians even are acting like we've, we've got the crystal ball. I know exactly what we should be doing as a country. I know exactly how it really should be going. You know, our, our national pastime has ceased from being baseball, and now it's armchair quarterbacking. We love just sitting back and just criticizing and judging and broadcasting to everyone, mocking everyone who doesn't see it the way that we see it. Somehow we've become convinced that, well, if I was in charge of this country and this state and whatever, if I was making the decisions, things would be so much better. It's like, you guys, kids, you guys remember Elf, right? The movie Elf, right? One of my favorite parts in Elf is when Buddy's down in the mailroom with that guy who's like 47, but he says he's 26. That guy, he's like, I'm 26 years old. I got nothing to show for everyone. There's no way you're 26. But, but remember what he says. He goes, he goes, you know, I got lots of good ideas. There's just no one around here listens to me, right? And he's sitting there complaining because he's got all these great ideas, but no one will listen to me. That's how I feel like so many of us are. We're just sitting there going, if everyone would just listen to me and my ideas, our country would not be in the state we're in because clearly I have the answers. Things would be so much better. And all of us long to have a friend like Buddy the Elf who just says, well, I listen to your ideas and they're all great. <laughs> That's what we want. We would just want to have that, I don't know, that, that pat on the back or that affirmation or something. But James chapter four, verse six says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble, not the opinionated, not the you know, loud broadcaster of their uh, opinions and their mocking tone, but the humble. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. But now you're a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I have to say, I know I say this somewhat frequently, but I am preaching to myself right now. I have not been perfect in this. I, I do the same. At very least, I do the same in my mind and in my heart. Like I said, I, I, try, to, I try to keep my mouth shut. I, I said in the video that I, I've, I don't really comment much at all but publicly, uh, especially on social media. Uh, I try to keep my opinions on these things uh, to myself, uh, but I do it in my heart. So I'm preaching myself right now. 
Uh, and don't also hear me say that you should never at all share your opinion on what you think about the government or Newsom or stay-at-home orders or whatever. But what I am saying is that we have to do better. We have to do better in the way that we're doing it. We have to be more godly, more discerning. Uh, meekness is not weakness. If it was, then our Savior was weak. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 18.6, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> that sounds old school right there, right? A fool's lips walk into a fight. You open your mouth, you're inviting a fight. You have to expect, if you're going to spout off your opinion, there's going to be a fight, and your mouth is inviting a beating. Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife. So you see the beginning of strife? You see something's kind of going awry. Ooh, maybe it's getting a little too, I'm getting a little too loud, a little too intense. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Stop before it gets out of hand. I think that last one is particularly helpful. We have to ask for wisdom to know whether our words, our actions or opinions are going to create peace and unity in the faith or if they're going to break the dam. Once the dam breaks or is overrun, there's, there's really no turning back. Uh, it's like the phrase, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's out, it's out. We say things that we wish we wouldn't have said. We divide in ways we wish we wouldn't have divided. But too often we're only concerned just with spouting off our own opinions and not considering others. Do you know that it is possible to be right and it also be wrong. It is possible for you to be right and also actually be wrong. We, we can say and believe even the right thing, even biblically the right thing, but say it or express it or act upon it in the wrong way or at the wrong time. Proverbs 11 verse 22 says like a gold ring in a pig's snout. So picture a pig with a, a nose ring. That's like a beautiful woman without discretion. Now that's mainly about outer beauty that lacks inner beauty, but the concept is the same. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is an opinionated man or a smart man without discretion. Uh, a gold ring in a pig's snout is like a theologically correct man without discretion. You know, so the picture here is you got this pig and you're trying to dress up this pig, make, it, make the pig look pretty, but you're just wasting this beautiful gold ring on something that's just ugly. You can have the theologically correct opinion. You could be wise. You can be smart. But if you do it with, with uh, condescension, you do it with no tact, you do it with uh, no care for the other person, you do it haphazardly or smugly, and it's just it's wasting that wisdom, that theological beauty and correction on someone who doesn't know how to wield it who doesn't know how to properly take this beautiful thing like good theology or, or uh, thoughtful uh, ways of doing things, but they, they, uh, they repeat it and they, they go about it in a way that's wrong. It's wasteful, and it's a shame that it happens so often. I, I can't tell you how many people I've seen in the last few months where I'm going, yeah, I actually agree with this guy, but I can't stand his attitude. I've, seen, I've read so many articles and watched all kinds of things where I'm going, man, I, I hate that I agree with this guy. Because he's just, he's acting so unloving. 
And then finally, I find some people that I'm going, okay, I love how you're putting this. You're being pastoral. You're being thoughtful. You're being loving. You're being caring. You're saying the same exact thing as this guy, but yet I can tell you actually care about the people you're talking to. I want to listen to those guys. I want to follow those guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong. And that's, that's how I think. I saw so much online. And I go, noisy gong to me. Yeah, I think you're right. But it's a noisy gong to me. It's a clanging symbol. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and you got your crystal ball, you know exactly how to run this country. If I have all faith as to remove, remove mountains, but I don't have love, well, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, you vow poverty in your life. You sell everything, deliver up your body to be burned as a martyr, but you don't have love. You got nothing. So instead, Proverbs 17, verse 27, whoever restrains his words, that person has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. So you can be a total fool. As long as you keep your mouth shut, everyone will think you're smart. That's good news. And when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Hey, look at that guy. He must be smart. He's not saying anything. Proverbs 20 says it's actually an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. It's an honor for you to look at strife and go, I'm going to stay out of that. It's an honor for a man to keep aloof, not from people, but from strife. But every fool will be quarreling. So therefore, Proverbs 30, verse 32, if you've been foolish and exalting yourself, exalting your opinion, all these things, or if you've been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. Put your hand on your mouth. Very simple. In such a polarizing and uh, divided world and even church, capital C church, that we are seeing today, we need to be so thoughtful and careful about how and what we share, not just publicly on social media, but even privately. When it comes to all these things, masks and infection rates and hospitalization rates and government response, all these things, like I said, I don't, I don't share my opinion on what I think about all this stuff. Uh, I, don't, I don't really share about what I think is too much or what's too little or what's preposterous or what's just kind of ludicrous or whatever. Uh, not on social media and, and not even so much in person. I just, don't, I just don't really think my commentary on those things is that helpful, personally. That's just me personally. I don't think that my commentary on that, giving my opinion, adding my opinion, throwing my opinion into the ring, I, just, I don't feel like it's that helpful. I think my opinion on other matters is helpful, I hope. Things of, you know, the Word of God and but with this, I'm just going, I just don't want to add to the confusion. I think we need something better from Christians. I think we need to be led by God's word and in a way that has God's word tell us not what to think about COVID-19 and mask wearing. There's plenty of opinions on that already. But I think we need to approach God's word to have it tell us how, not, not what to think, but how to get through these difficult times, how to act, how to carry ourselves amidst all these things that are confusing, how to treat others as we're going through this. Uh, preaching my thoughts and opinion on what I think about 
Governor Newsom or the government. I, I just don't think that's going to lead us towards sanctification. I, I really, I'm just convinced it's not going to help us become more sanctified. I don't think it's going to be fruitful for me personally. I don't think it's going to bring unity and peace to the body of Christ if I spout off on what I think about the government and all this kind of stuff. I actually think it's just going to bring more bitterness and division and arrogance and frustration. I think that's going to breed within the church. I want to lead us and my family and my own heart. And again, I'm preaching to myself here. I've not been blameless in this. But I want to lead us in and towards the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. But when it comes to these issues that we've been seeing with COVID and masks and everything, I see and hear a lot more of the works of the flesh, which is right before this in Galatians 5.19. The works of the flesh, I'm just going to skip over a few and just kind of cover the ones that are pertinent to this issue. The works of the flesh are evident idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, be honest. When you look online, social media, or how you hear people talk, or maybe the conversations you've had, whether it's things you've said or maybe things that have said to you, which of those two lists describes what you are seeing the last few months? I'd be hard-pressed to find many of you that say, oh, definitely the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I just, I look at those two lists and I see hardly any of that first list and I see a ton of that second list. Now for yourself, and I've asked myself this same thing, what do your conversations, what do they encourage? What do they encourage? What do your social media posts promote? Are those around you being built up in love and peace and unity? Are you showing self-control, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness? Or are those that are on the other end of your conversations or posts or whatever, are they experiencing kind of some anxiety, some confusion, some strife, some division? Are your words uniting people in faith or dividing them in opinion? Gainsaying, trying to get them on your side. I don't want to partake in the kind of conversation that divides, where we shame and mock and, and even shoot our own people, other Christians even. I read and I see a lot online and I think to myself, man, if I wasn't a believer, I would not want to be part of that Christianity right there. I got plenty of that in the world. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 
That was Paul's instruction to Timothy, and he gives more instruction to Pastor Titus. And I want to close with this scripture and some reminders for us. I read through this scripture, written to this Pastor Titus. I read it a bunch of times this week. And I just asked the Lord just to have him just commit it to my heart in a way that I think we, that I need, that we need. Here's what Paul says to Titus. He's saying to Titus about his church, remind them. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves, we were once foolish. We were once disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, see, we, we should have in our past been marked by the works of the flesh. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, being born again and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you, speaking to Titus, the pastor, to insist on these things. To insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things that he has just spoken of are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Because they're unprofitable. And they're worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Church, we, the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, must be marked with the character of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to us who were foolish and arrogant, and strongly opinionated, walking astray, passing our days in malice and gossip and slander and mockery of others. That should mark what we used to be. And he came to us, each of us, lost in our sin, wandering aimless in this life with no direction, cut off from God, children of wrath, doomed for hell because of our sin. We had no right to draw near our God. We could not earn his favor. We'd become enemies of God. But God had mercy. Not because of any works of the flesh, not because of our wisdom, our strong opinions, our good theology. Unmerited grace was given to you while you were still an enemy cut off from God himself. And he not only spared us, but he saved us and adopted us, called us to become an heir according to the hope of eternal life. And so now we not only have a whole life ahead of us, and that could be a few more hours or it could be a few more decades, 
But we have our whole entire life ahead of us, but we also now have a whole entire eternal life ahead of us because of him. So let's not spend that quarreling and dividing. Paul reminds Titus, you used to be a quarreler. You used to be a quarreler, but you should be that no longer. Rather be united in faith because he has caused us to become born again. And he's made us to be one with one another and we ought to be peacemakers. And that truth that he says is true, is profitable, it's trustworthy, that is what should unite us. And nothing else should divide us. I want to close in prayer and just read two verses from 1 Corinthians here, chapter 15. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is of first importance. And church, that ought to be what unites us. And that ought to be what is never divided from us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need your help. I would guess that every single one of us uh, in this courtyard and watching at home, uh, we have misspoken against even brothers and sisters. Maybe we've said the right thing, but maybe in the wrong way, without love or maybe with judgment. And not just with this issue of coronavirus and government overreach and whatever, uh, but in so many ways, uh, we need your help. We need to be reminded that we can speak truth and yet not have love. And that's just a clanging gong. Teach us to be humble. Teach us to be meek. Teach us not to be condescending or mocking or looking smugly upon others and just thinking they're uh, ignorant opinions are just kind of cute, foolish. Teach us how to walk in wisdom, to walk in meekness, to be servants of others, to esteem others as greater than ourselves, to seek unity in the faith with the church, and to speak the truth yet in love with the world. Lord, we have so much work to be done in our hearts to be more and more conformed into your image. I hope and I pray that these last few months and however much longer we're going to be going through this would not be spent in vain, just quarreling and spouting off our opinion, but maybe that these times would actually expose to us in our hearts the ways that we have so much work to be done. I know I've been challenged. I've been just stretched so thin. I feel like in 
Like in Psalm 118, just pushed over the edge to where I'm falling and depending on you to withhold me. To uphold me by your word, by your power. Throwing myself upon your word to give me wisdom and direction for every next little step. And somehow I know that this is what I needed. I look back at these four months and as beleaguered and discouraged as I've been, I know somehow that this is exactly what I've needed. I don't know why, I don't know exactly how, but I trust and I believe that I've needed this. So I pray for all of us that this would not be time in vain, that the mistakes we've made can be repented of, our course can be changed, and we can pursue godliness and righteousness with those who call upon the name of the Lord in pure faith and conscience. Help us, O Lord. God, and, and remind us too that, and I just want to remind myself and our church that there is room for difference of opinion. And so it doesn't mean we have to believe all the same thing or even keep totally quiet about our different opinions, but just teach us how to share our opinions and speak to others more graciously, thoughtfully, in a more godly way, in a way that would honor you, in a way that we would do in front of you if you were sitting there in the conversation, because you are. So we ask for your help, O oh Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.